0: You know, I just put up a post a little bit ago on Instagram. and said, you know, we don't have the ability to get out right now because of the quarantine and this, this COVID society we live in today. So we don't get the ability to go out and see, uh, what we get, you know, what we typically can do. So we're starving for content. My favorite thing in the world that we do is the tips, tricks, and hacks. You know, it's the, uh, seeing how guys do it, seeing how different departments do it. And we get to share that. Um, because you know, believe it or not, some people do it better elsewhere. We can't do everything the best. And uh, being able to get out and do that um, is is fun for us to be able to get that back. So fire for effect was the course you uh, you did our on tap in South Carolina. Um, your training company is Valor Fire Training, correct? Yep. Yeah. And how long have you how long like how long ago did you get mixed up with Valor and you started it and so that?
1: So I I mean it really started in like two thousand fifteen. Uh, you know I started uh, writing articles uh, and I got some online stuff through fire engineering and uh then i started kind of going out and just doing local stuff and stuff around the midwest uh and then i had a friend of mine who was also an instructor who said hey you should just kind of turn this into a company and uh originally it was more of i don't know i mean it was just more of a formalization type thing um but it really solidified what we were doing and kind of what we were about and so uh, i went through like 15 different name ideas and a bunch of different uh you know logos i did all that stuff Um, But the core concept has always been the same. And whether we were Valor Fire training or whether it was just a group of guys and gals that were going out training, the content the classes have evolved and we've come out with more stuff um, to be able to present. And so, yeah, I mean, it started around 2015, but we really didn't start going with it officially until like late 18, early 19.
0: Gotcha. And you're traveling all over the country, correct? I mean, you know, you're based out of Kansas. Yeah, right? but uh, but your training group and yourself. I mean, you've been uh, you've been all over.
1: Yeah, I've been all the way down to Miami Beach. Uh, I've been down to Texas. I've been to Oklahoma. I've been to Nebraska. I've uh, been to Portland. Uh, when I did the X talk with uh, Mike Snodgrass.
0: Yeah, but Rob, was that the same one? Oh, Rob's disappeared on me. But was that the same uh, the same year Rob did it? Rob did last year.
1: Rob Rob did last year. I did the year before that.
0: You were out the year before. Yeah, I heard it's a pretty interesting uh, conference. Yeah, a lot of yeah, that's a, a cool. A lot of good words being spoken, Rob. We're talking about Portland. Oh, yeah, uh, X Yeah, it was a very yeah.
2: interesting, interesting experience, and we got to meet some pretty cool people. So we got, we got Mo Davis. That's that's the biggest win.
0: Okay. Mo Matt Atkins. That guy is man. I'm telling you, i, Eddie I, I from I, uh, I Charlie it. Ten. Yeah, yeah. So Dave, what? Give me a little rundown, man. You are a firefighter paramedic in Kansas, right? With Edwardsville. Kansas, right yeah so yeah yeah go ahead man give me give me some backstory so we can start chatting more
1: yeah so I got into the fire service in 1998 Uh, I started out as an explorer up in Nebraska and uh, then I got my EMT uh, in 2005 or no I'm sorry I got my EMT in 2003 and I spent two years working for a private ambulance service up in Nebraska uh, and then got all my fire classes got my paramedic in uh, 2005 and I moved down to Kansas City Uh, And I started working full-time EMS because when I got into the fire service uh, as an explorer, everybody was telling me, Hey man, if you want to get anywhere in the fire service, you got to be a paramedic. And I thought, okay, that's cool. Uh, So when I became a paramedic, finally, I thought to myself, I don't want to be good at the first 10 minutes until the ambulance shows up. I want to be good as a paramedic. So I decided to spend, I told myself I was going to do it for like five years. I'd be a paramedic on an ambulance and get some experience and then I'll I'll switch over to the fireside, and I volunteered, uh, on the fireside side right. during that, during that whole time. But, um, fast forward like 15 years and I was still in the ambulance. <laughs> so
0: you, got, you got out in 98, was, was it fire-based EMS back then?
1: So no. So Lincoln, where I was an explorer, uh, they didn't go, uh, it was a private ambulance service called Eastern. Uh, and then it became rural Metro And then the fire department up there took over in 2001 after I'd already moved uh, out of that, out of of the area. So um, I was up in Omaha uh, doing stuff up there. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, I I grew up around, they had ALS engines. And so in the firehouse, there was always a paramedic and I got to be friends with a lot of them. Uh, And that was kind of their ticket was, hey, if you want to get anywhere in the fire service, you gotta be a paramedic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Rob, how come New York not, how come, uh, how come we don't do that in New York State, where you are? What's that, the,
2: where the ALS programs?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you know, either private company or hospital-based. I'm, I'm shocked that, like, nowadays, it's not, there's not a standard across the board. The,
2: the main thing in New York State is billing. Uh, fire districts can't bill for EMS service because of how general municipal law is set up in New York. And it's a very costly uh, item. For a fire okay. district to to do that um the municipalities uh, the cities and the villages are, are picking up on it um upstate like i think uh water of um Cahose, uh troy they've all started uh you know ambulance services and they're they're doing very well for the city not that they're making money hand over fist but the city definitely sees a uh, um you know, uh, an advantage in that having yeah. that, that service and then being able to recoup some of the cost, you know, is is helpful to make it a little
1: bit more palatable for the for the city managers.
0: <clears throat> hey, is that how it works? By you? Is no, it- I
1: mean this, so so here, I mean like my uh, career department, Edwardsville, which is a suburb of Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, we we have our own ambulance. We run our own ambulance service. Uh, there are multiple fire departments that run their own ambulance services uh, around the metro. And uh, I mean, obviously, there's still county like my volley job. Uh, you know, right. there's it's a county based ambulance service. Uh, so I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mixture of both. But we don't have necessarily the billing issue. Because uh, we bill the, uh, at my career job, just like anybody else would.
0: Right, right. So that's what I'm curious about. Because I mean, I think EMS with With the COVID-19 that's going around this pandemic, I mean, EMS is just being thrusted into the spotlight right now. Um, I know for us, um, you know, right outside of New York City, I mean, this is ground zero for what's happening. Um, I saw FEMA just brought 200 200 ambulances in today to New York City to offset the city EMS program, uh, so on, which I, you know, I'm curious if that's ever been done before on a grand scale, Um, you know. I think the the
2: last time that I saw a massive movement of ambulances was during the blackout as we came down with the ambulances. Uh, when was the blackout? Was that like
0: 2002? 2000? Yeah, but that was still regionalized. I mean, this is FEMA bringing in ambulances from across the country and crews from across oh, yeah. the country. You know, I mean, this is this is a massive EMS movement, if you will. That I think once they're done in New York, they're going to need them in Detroit, and Chicago, in LA, and so on. I think this is yeah, New Orleans. I mean, it's you're starting to see the the cities are starting to be affected. You know, they're they're a week to two weeks behind New York city and, and it's, you know, it's happening. Um, it's happening now, but I, I think it's an interesting conversation, Dave. Um, I know you're, you know, being a paramedic and saying that, you know, you were going to do it for a couple of years and however here you are this many years later and you're still very much involved. I mean, are you still actively operating as a paramedic?
1: Yeah. So uh, like in fact, tomorrow when I go back to work, I'm just coming off of four days. So I'll be on the ambulance for my rotation, this rotation, and then next rotation i'll switch back to the fire truck
0: gotcha um, what what are your uh, what are your thoughts on what's happening right now man it's an interesting time
1: you know i and i'll just throw this out there i know we we individually we've all talked over the last sure. couple weeks um i i wasn't doing so great when this first started right um i had a uh, ton of anxiety. I was I was struggling really bad. Did you uh, did
0: you let me ask you? Did you have a realistic picture in your brain that what's happening today was going to happen?
1: Yeah, I didn't. Yeah.
0: I didn't. Yeah. Uh, not at all. I was joking three weeks ago. I was joking about this and how I thought it was being blown out of proportion. I mean, I was I'm not caught off guard, but the severity of this now um, and the fact that I know people that are literally on respirators because of this right now um, in three weeks, man, it's an eye opening experience for myself. So. I mean, that's why I'm asking these questions because people that are in this business, I really want to know, you know, what your take is. And, and if you saw it coming, I mean, you had anxiety leading up to this. I guess you, you had an idea.
1: Yeah. So my, my anxiety and I, and I talked to my wife about this a lot. She, and, and, and for those of you that are watching this on Facebook live, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. So you're going to hear a lot of stuff that uh, maybe other people probably wouldn't talk about, but uh, three weeks ago when this thing first started blowing up, uh, my wife came home and I was sitting on the couch and I'm just bawling. I mean, I was just crying and she came walking in and she was like, Oh my God. She's like, what is wrong with you? And I was having like a full blown anxiety attack. Really? And yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and she came over and she was like, is this about this Corona thing? And I said, listen, I said, I'm, I'm not worried about the virus. The virus scares me, and I'm scared because we didn't know a lot about it. We didn't know if it was right. airborne. We didn't know if it was, right. you know, particles or droplets. How big are the droplets? Like, I'm trying to research this shit, and I'm like, okay, so you know, is it 0.5 microns or is it 0.05 microns? I have no idea. But the virus itself didn't scare me. What scared me is that if you look at some of the data that was coming out of all the other countries, uh, you know, the healthcare systems getting overwhelmed, the EMS services are getting overwhelmed um you know i'm looking at a very real fact whether it's kansas city or new york or chicago or boston or whatever like i'm gonna have to potentially go and and look at somebody and say i can't take you to a hospital because all the hospitals are full i'm sorry you're having a stroke sorry or we show up with a, a cardiac patient who's having a heart attack and the whole er is full and everybody's shut down and i can't get them to a cath lab and so I think it was just very overwhelming. Uh, and so that's what I explained to my wife. I said, I'm not, I'm not scared. I'm not freaking out because of the virus. I'm, I'm overwhelmed at all the input that I'm getting of what could potentially happen. And I don't think it's as bad as I thought it was gonna be necessarily, but I think it's worse in other ways. So, I, um,
0: I'm, I'm taken back by, I, I really, nobody ever had that conversation to say, it's one thing for the hospitals to be overwhelmed it's another thing for the average person to understand. And again, I'm not, I'm not an EMS guy. I don't, I don't do EMS. I don't look at ambulances. Like it's just not my thing. And, um, and I, am never even thought of the fact that God forbid on the fire ground, one of my guys gets hurt, right? Fighting a fire, right? Or the ER is going to be able to take in a trauma or, or one of our firefighters that goes down. Then that, that put it into perspective for me, right? That really painted the picture of like, what the hell's going on? Is the fact that, you know, all the pop-up hospitals they're building are not for the COVID patients, they're for other medical emergencies. Right. Puts it in perspective.
1: Well, yeah, and, right. and if you look at the, a lot of the, and, and, and I will say this, in, in discussions that I've had with people around the country, you know, the military, some of the military hospitals, the pop-up tents, things like that, uh, you know, they're good at trauma and, and that's what they do. That's their shtick. you know, right. in combat, they do trauma. So, sure. you know, having a trauma center in a soccer stadium that you can take your trauma patients to it's doable, but never in my life did I think that I was ever going to sit there and go, okay, Hey, take this gunshot victim or take this car accident victim to the sporting KC park in Kansas city. Now, I don't know if they, I don't know if it'll get that bad. It, it might not. Right. But for you guys, that's a reality right now.
2: I, I wanted to find out from like Pete and Julie or any of the other friends that I have that work EMS in the city, like when they start bringing in patients to the US Navy ship, uh, hospital ship Comfort. Because like I was like, you know what, what's that? Like, how, how do you get, how do you do that turnover there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, it's, they it's, didn't it's talk about
1: They have didn't have talk say, like, about that.
2: Permission to come aboard, sir, ma'am, whoever's uh, there uh, at the gangway. Go
0: for a dock. Mm
1: hmm. Yeah, this is the stuff that they don't talk about on page sixty-five of the EMT book. No,
0: I don't think they talk about this anywhere. I mean, and that's that's the thing, and I think we're writing the script as we go.
2: Hey, what has been frustrating for me with this whole thing is, and I, we've all talked about it a little bit, but like, um my my employer, the Fairview Fire District, was prepared for, uh, and we kicked in the high gear from the two thousand and fourteen West Africa Ebola outbreak, and. I don't understand how like we bought all of our supplies and we kept our supplies up because of that That was pretty scary right like people were like hey you have this disease it's like it's uh it's gonna kill you you're gonna kind of bleed out from everywhere and it's kind of a miserable thing if you just saw the movie outbreak it's we think it might be like that except without the cool uh, actors um i'm a daisy cutter hopefully <laughs> but uh where, like, for me, I want, like, where did all that equipment go? Because, like, they were giving us take home kits at one point, like, you know, whole, full Tyvek suits and everything. Like, keep this in your car in case you have to come to a, you know, a site somewhere and then and, and put this on. And it all, like, where, I don't know, just disappeared, it's got thrown out, maybe? I don't know.
0: So, Dave, you go back to work tomorrow, you're riding the ambulance. I can only imagine that you're going to be confronted with, um, You know, you're going to be you're going to be confronted with uh, probably very similar uh, uh, symptoms and calls of uh, probably elderly and people exhibiting signs of symptoms of COVID, Um, you know, for yourself as as the guy that's transporting and sitting in the back of that ambulance and so on. I mean, I have to think, you know, you're hearing a lot of stories about, um, you know, coming home to your own family and, uh, you know, dealing with that struggle. Um, maybe you can hit on that a little bit. You've been doing this a long time. I mean, this isn't your first go around, but, but this is something new that I think um, probably has never really been discussed amongst the EMS professions to the extent of what's happening now.
1: Right. So it, I was having this conversation, uh, what, what is today, Tuesday? So Sunday, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine. It, it, you bring up a really good point. So, you know, it's kind of like for anybody that's ever gotten stuck by a needle, right? You have that, you know, oh my God, I just got stuck by a needle. And it doesn't matter if it's an 80 year old grandma or, you know, a 20 year old crackhead, you got stuck with the dirty needle and you have all these thoughts that run through your head. Um, and so as you go and you, and, and I've only had it happen a handful of times uh, in my career, but you know, you go and you get your blood tested and then you have to go back. Um, luckily, all my sticks were were ones that I didn't have to get on antiretrovirals. We were pretty sure that the you know person didn't have anything and they didn't have any health history um but anyway when you look at this this is completely unknown right like i don't know that i got stuck with a needle so i have faith in my mask i have faith in my 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 we have tyvex suits um but you know i have i have faith in my gear but what if i have a leak in my mask and i don't know about it and then i come home and i give it to my kids right um so our, our department, uh, both on the volunteer side and the career side, uh, we've enacted some pretty stringent rules. We're civilian clothes in, civilian clothes out. We're not allowed to take our work clothes home. Um, we're cleaning the stations twice a day. We're uh, washing bedding every day when we get off shift. We have bags and then the oncoming shift puts on gloves and they go wash the stuff um, or we'll put it in the washer and they'll take it out after it's clean. But we're doing all these things to try to prevent that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a really uh, real possibility that, you know, I can go to work and unknowingly have either a failure of my equipment or walk in unknowingly to the stroke patient who also has COVID.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, you, you're here. I mean, uh, nursing homes right now are just uh, breeding grounds for this. Um, I know we're, we're dealing with it locally. My wife's grandmother, she's 100 years old, still strong as a bull, but, uh, you know, there's, it's in her nursing home um and it's you know that makes this very real you know um rob what about you guys man i mean you might touch on a little bit just your thoughts on this yeah no i mean it's
2: like said before like we we had uh we we had all that stuff before in 2014 and you know we're kind of i think our department's a a lot more prepared than most um and it's it's frightening i mean like I i remember started seeing stuff from some of the nurses about the quote unquote like strip show outside the house as they're coming home, like taking off their scrubs and their shoes and everything outside the front door before they walked in and leaving it in the pile and then going and get it, you know, or putting it in a, in a bag and bring it right into the wash. And it wasn't until we had our first, you know, first call at work where we had somebody who was like, hey, you know, this, this is a patient under investigation and they're hitting every checkbox. And I was driving home that day and I'm like, wow, like, what am I? And this is before we enacted like you know, leaving us yeah. the uh, uniforms at the station, everything. Right. And sure enough I came home and I luckily I have a you know, a, an attached garage so the neighbors didn't have to be traumatized by that. But you know um stripped everything <sighs> off. Well, you and I've shared rooms before, Rob. I know it's been a it's like a giant white <laughs> walrus banging furniture.
0: Harry bastard. Harry, Harry Bastard.
2: But uh you know it was it it definitely hit at home and then my wife is in the healthcare field so like she's dealing with patients every day I'm we're dealing with people at work Um, but at the end like you you think about it and it's your training that you fall back on and this PPE that we have in in Fairview as long as we're putting it on correctly and we're doing everything that we've been trained to do all the yearly has and OSHA stuff like we're minimizing our risk and we're and we're doing everything that we can up to the point of even like, you know, deconning the ambulance after every patient contact and, you know, just making sure that we're cleaning the station two times a day. or taking everybody's temperatures multiple times a day. We have a lot for that just to ensure that we're all, we're all healthy. We, have you
0: guys, have you guys, I mean, I know down here we have some standardization that was, that was handed out by the division that says, you know, fire departments should be doing X, Y, and Z. This is the minimum requirements. This is what everybody should be doing. I mean, do you, are there in Rob in New York or, or Dave in Kansas are there? is the state division or uh, the state how whoever governs what you do or have there been um response guidelines or recommendations put in place for uh, personal protection uh guidelines put in place or is this our, department by department our state's just
2: really just kind of uh like doh new york state doh and the and the powers that be from homeland security are just kind of saying like hey this is what the cdc is saying Okay. I, yeah. I know. I, I've seen some other people who are in like full private suits, with like it's like almost like they're working the decon station and the yeah, I, I've seen it. It's happening down here. And that's I'm good. like, make, you know, but that's how they're that's how they're choosing to do it, and that's yeah. how they're going to do it. You know.
1: How about you, Dave? So yeah, we're falling back on the CDC stuff a lot, but I will say this: so we uh, you know, for example, like in the CDC guidelines, when it first came out, it said that, uh, you know, for the ambulance transport, when you get to the hospital, you should leave the doors open mm-hmm. for a reasonable yep. amount of time for air exchange, but they didn't really define what a reasonable amount of time was. Right. Well, you know, if you go inside and you drop off the patient, you do your report. I mean, my reports are decent. I mean, I don't ever get pulled into QA or anything, but I mean, my reports take 15 minutes. So is 20 minutes okay? Is it, is it 45 minutes? You know right. what is it? Right. Um, so I actually made some phone calls around to some different people that I know around the country who deal with infectious disease, and I said, "What do you? If worst case scenario, if this thing is airborne, what do you guys think would be a reasonable time for a you know ambulance box to be able to have air exchange?" And they all kind of agreed around 20 minutes. So when I wrote up the policy for my volunteer department, um, even though we don't have an ambulance, I wanted it to kind of match what the CDC was saying. I changed it from reasonable amount of time to 20 minutes minimum. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, we, we, we tweaked it a little bit for us. Um, you know, we're not allowing people to wear surgical masks like the CDC says you can in certain instances. We want N95s. Yeah. Um, so, we're yeah, we're taking those CDC guidelines and we're not going below them. We're only going...
0: Yeah, no, that's good. That's See, good. If
2: I, I got a question for you because I know, like, when you came to Greenville and did fire for effect mm-hmm. and You're in in the program that I watched. I was like, I I love this guy Um, because you had these ideas that just to me were like so outside the box. They made sense. We focused a lot at work on COVID-19, and the other day we actually did like three hours of fire training, and it was just that breath of fresh air because for once we weren't really thinking about what we were going to bring home to our families or what was going to put us in a in ICU or just give us a really bad cough and you know depending on whatever you know fate but um how does like do you have any ideas of how a department like jeremy's got a situation now where franklin lakes we don't want guys really hanging out they probably have isolated members coming in to check the rigs every week and you know you don't social distancing how do you do it in a drill but how do we keep members on an edge so that we're still thinking about the fire service and we're still providing some kind of training in the midst of this crisis because fires are still happening we had a there was a second alarm apartment fire in beekman today
0: in Douglas County, so let let's talk about try. that. That is so much more exciting. But anyway,
1: <laughs> go,
0: dude.
1: So, Sorry, no, you're right. So, so yeah. So, I mean, it's 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 t- okay. I'm going to give you two answers because ones for the career side and ones for the volunteer side. So, uh, yeah. on the volu- on the volunteer side, we're a lot like that as well. We don't want people hanging out at the station. We've canceled our meetings. We've canceled our trainings. We're communicating through email or text messages or phone calls. Sucks. Um, it does. It really does. And I know that's that that message has been echoed across all the states of all the people that I've talked to. Like people are still getting into arguments with their training officers saying, hey, we have to cancel training for this month. Well, but we only get to do one training a month. Well, I don't care. It's in the middle of a pandemic. We have to cancel it. Um, and so they're still having those arguments. But what I've told people, because I've had some people reach out and what I've said is, if you go down to the station, there is no reason why you can't throw on an air pack. Black your mask out and do a search. There's no reason why you can't pull the truck out and go deploy some hose lines. Yeah, it's gonna suck. You're gonna have to put the hose back by yourself, um, but it, it's doable, right? Even if it's something as simple as like, I happened to be down at the station the other day uh, and I pulled our rig out and I just went through pumping. I, I just literally went through turning on the pump, pulling valves, shot some deck on water, filled the truck back up and that was it. And I backed it in the station. So yeah, we're not gonna be able to do these big multi-company drills. Um, but individually, you can still take time to do those hands-on things um, and, and do them in a way that you're still gonna learn something. You're just not gonna have five people stand there or 20 people standing there uh, watching you. On the career side, you know, we run five guys at my station. There's two on the ambulance and three on the fire truck. Uh, we're still doing training. You know, We're still going out and we still go pull hose lines. We still go do EMS training. Um, we still go drive around and do pre-plan stuff. So
0: I have to think that's going to be ending very
1: soon. I I mean, you mean going out and pre-planning or going out?
0: No, just going out, going out. I mean, you know, because I'll tell you why, like for us, right. Perception is everything. And you know, when, when the state of New Jersey is telling us that, you know, no more than four people are together at one time, you know, when, when people drive by and see a a group, whether it's the fireman training. So like we've eliminated all of that. Like it's, it's crazy. It's gotten to the point, like I was talking about this the other night on another podcast we were doing, and it's it's of a great concern for me that the longer this thing goes, the more detrimental it's going to be to the fire service. And I'm not just the training side, but I'm just talking about the brotherhood, the aspect. I mean, guys sharing meal, sitting across the table with guys now, you know, there's departments that, you know, career departments that want guys separated even while they're working, right. you know, like there's, it's it's really swung in, a, in the total opposite direction of everything that we know, from going out and doing meal together, from picking up meal, coming back and cooking together, right, to going out and running pre-plans or running the district or building inspections or stretching lines or just doing a simple company drill, all that stuff's been put on hold in my area. I don't care what department you're on. Everything's on hold. We can't do any of that anymore. And the problem is, like even on the volley side, it's call response only. So other than that, man, you're not at the firehouse. There's no meetings, there's no camaraderie, there's no training. I mean, we train a minimum of four nights every month in my volunteer house. Usually it's up to like six times a month that we have company training, right? All that's gone. And part of that company training is not just the hands-on, but it's also the camaraderie. Like I only had, like I talk to four or five guys in my firehouse regularly that are like my good buddies, but I know 40 guys. And I'm friends with all 40 guys but because they're not in the firehouse and I'm not there we're not connecting and then you take the kid that's on the fence you take that kid that's a good fireman and now we make him disappear for two months he starts to lose like the, the junior kid the young kid in the firehouse that is impressionable we might lose them because we don't we're, we're limiting our exposure now and and to me that's a scary thought it's very it's very I think what's happening is super dep- detrimental to fire service whether career or volunteer and it's not just the health issue it's also the other impact it's just like society the economical impact is going to far surpass the health impact of this right. i mean i i firmly believe that but that's my opinion you know but i think the same thing's happening on the fire service too
1: sure well I, and i think not to not to disagree with you i i agree that you can that's... disagree
0: with all you want i you're not gonna hurt my feelings like, no
1: no i mean you you bring up a good point because you know when we and and you know okay so like in new york state you know a lot of fire halls have the the bar you can hang out you can do sure. your thing um you know that's not a thing anymore and so you know but the one and and this is what has kind of brought me back around from the first couple like the first four or five days of the of the whole outbreak thing um when I wasn't doing okay and I went into work guys knew and the guys on my shift knew, uh, I got called into my deputy chief's office. And of course we were sitting six feet apart, but he said, Dave, I got to talk with you. And I said, okay, what's up? He goes, the guys are worried about you. The guys on your shift are worried about you. And I said, okay, what's up. And he said, they're just, you know, you know, and I was holding it together at work. I mean, I'm still showing up. I'm still doing my job. I'm still going and doing my thing. But I wasn't acting right, and so they were worried enough about it that they didn't want to talk to me. They wanted to do it as as a collective, Um, and so he actually walked me back in, and and I talked to everybody, and I said, you know, here's what's going on. I'm worried. I'm concerned. You know, they said, well, normally you're joking around and you're funny, and you you know you're always happy and laughing, and you haven't cracked a joke or laughed or done anything in like three shifts or four shifts and we're trying to figure out what's wrong with you. And I said, well, I'm trying to figure out why you guys aren't freaking out. Like I'm over here freaking out, but you guys are just like, ah, it's a normal Tuesday. Um, And so we had that discussion. On the volunteer side, I had guys reach out to me. Hey man, I haven't heard from you. You used to call me every other day, like, are you okay? Um, And so I think there's those little glimmers of hope that there's still a brotherhood and there's still people that are reaching out. Um, And for those of the people that are watching on Facebook, anybody else that's gonna watch this, I mean, look for people that are struggling because at some point we're all gonna get it. It it might not be now, it might not be uh, in a week, but at some point it's gonna overwhelm all of us in either the pre-hospital setting, the fire setting, law enforcement, and I thought I was doing a pretty good job of keeping it together, but obviously I wasn't because you know I got called out, which I'm glad I did. I mean, I needed to be, um, and I went and talked to someone, and you know.
0: I think it's I think it's interesting how you know it's just a, it's a good indication or it's a good conversation to have about how everybody handles things differently. Um, like I said previously, I mean, three weeks ago I was joking around and thought this was a waste of time, and it was uh, being blown out of proportion. Um, Fast forward to today, and I have family friends that are on respirators, and we have people that are dying. Um, we had a young firefighter die today in New Jersey that was uh, yeah, from that. Uh, complications of the coronavirus. So it's happening, um, and it is affecting us. And you know, if you if I were to tell future Jeremy three weeks ago, you know, today what's happening, I would have never believed it. Would have never believed it a million years, but. It's a, it's an interesting time, and I'm glad, I thank you for sharing your take on it, um, and just opening up a little bit personally about the experience. Um, I will say this, this interview is all about um, you, really, and so I don't want to dwell. I mean, I know the uh, coronavirus is, uh, you know, it's prevalent, and we're all dealing with it, um, and so on, but I also want to talk about you, though. Um, you know, we like to have guys on the show, and girls on the show that, um, you know, really represent the fire service, and have a lot to offer, um, and we want to share that story and get that story out. Um, I mean, Dave Mellon, man, you've been doing this since 98. Um, I'm curious. I sat through, we did our on tap. I want to just get back to it a little bit. We did our on tap down in South Carolina. Um, we had a small crowd. It was an intimate setting. Um, it wasn't one of our bigger ones that we did, but I'll tell you the value that came out of that show, um, or that event, right? Your, your lecture was fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed it. I picked up a lot of, um, good things, a lot of a lot of nice training nuggets that came out of there that made me think, um, sit back in my chair and just like digest it a little bit. Um, can you talk about Fire for Effect just a little bit about that, about that lecture you did that night and basically what it's geared towards and maybe one or two nuggets for the people that are watching or listening, just the yeah. things that you've learned or things that I think are stand out. I'd love to hear about.
1: It. Yeah, for sure. So the, the the whole concept behind Fire for Effect came out of <laughs> Where I started from in the fire service and and where I've ended up now. So when I started uh, in the Explorers, and if anybody isn't familiar with the Explorers, it's an extension of the Boy Scouts. So it's like you know that you learn about occupations. They have them for law enforcement and uh, a lot of different uh, uh, jobs. But uh, you know we we got to put on the bunker gear. We got to go to the training center. We got to do some stuff. But when I got into fire class uh, at a community college. You know, we were going into brick buildings. We were burning couches and chairs, uh, and I can't tell you if there was maybe a tire or two that got thrown well, on sure. there. Sure, we've
0: all been there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it
1: was it was it was a long time ago, but that we're was kind couches. of the norm. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was like, oh, cool, a, a, a used couch. Throw that in the back of the pickup and let's go burn it at the training center. So, when we went and fought fire, I mean, we were chasing and fire, and then down. we
0: burned a pickup truck after it anyway. Good.
1: Right. And so, so we were burning, when we were burning, we were chasing fire down hallways. Right. Um, We were doing uh, attacks and searches simultaneously. And I talk about it in the fire for effect class, but you know, I was lucky enough that when I started out, it was in the era of belt mounted regulators, um, three quarter boots, bunker pants were around, but I mean, people were saying Boston was still wearing Chicago was still wearing three quarter boots. We had open cab rigs. I used to ride around in an open cab rig and stand up in the back. And so I got exposure to that, which was great. But as you know, fast forward through my 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 fire service career, we started focusing more on safety, and it was uh, not necessarily a bad thing. But I think what it has done is it has taken away the realism. And the the best example that I have of that is that we had a fire uh, probably seven or eight years ago now. But uh, this firefighter, who was a really good dude, really 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 good firefighter, had a ton of effort. Um, ton of ambition he went through fire class he had gone through the state training with the burn trailer which was all gas and fake smoke and the first actual job that we got he came out and he looked at me and he goes dude I can't do this and I go what do you mean he goes dude I can't do this he goes I literally couldn't see two feet in front of my face it was hot as shit I thought I was gonna die And he goes, I didn't know which way was up and which way was down. He said, it wasn't until you came over and grabbed the back of my pack and you were pointing at things that I had any idea where I was. He said, I literally don't know if I can do this. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, it just was so mind blowing to me. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh my God, we did this. Like we as a fire service did this to this guy. This guy came out of the academy thinking. It's never going to get over 250 degrees. The smoke is going to be so easy, you can see right across the room. Yep. And so what the class kind of morphed out of was how do we bring back that realism without sacrificing safety? Because a lot of firefighters have have given blood during training and it was completely unnecessary.
2: Well, I want to so, jump in there, Dave, real quick, because we were, we were in Greenville's fire station with the deputy chief of the city and that was one of the things he said to you was like well how do we do realistic fire training without those training scars and hours of paperwork and injury and and you had a really good response to him on that and I don't know if you remember exactly what you said but like I mean like he he pretty much because it was almost it was a very professional challenge to say like all right so you want to do realistic fire training but how you know how how, how do you get there because he clearly didn't want to like not that he didn't want to do it, but he was just, he was, he was on that administrative mind track of being like, all right, we're just talking about things that are going to get guys hurt. And, yeah. but I don't think it's like that, you know?
1: No, and I, and I, if it, and remind me if I said something different than what I'm about to say, but my normal response to that question, because I get that from chiefs a lot. We've almost gotten shut down when we do the hands-on portion of fire for effect. We've almost gotten shut down several times from different agencies. Because, and it wasn't even during the class, it was when they heard about what we were going to do. Um, they were scared because it was outside of what they normally do. And so, my normal response to that is do you want to do it safely and do it right and prevent your firefighters from getting hurt on the fire ground? Or do you want to be really safe during training and somebody's going to get really hurt or fucked up on the fire? And, and I think that was probably something yep. more political. Um, but yeah, I mean, we went to a fire conference and I won't name the city, but I mean, it's a major metropolitan city and the, the division chief of training came over and was like, hey, I read your guys' class description. You guys have your 1403 plan. I don't know if I'm okay with this. You know, you guys are talking about doing searches ahead of the line with live fire and pulling out mannequins and doing all sorts of stuff. And so we, we, we discussed it and we had about a 20 minute discussion. And they finally said, the only way that we'll let you do this is if we have our staff involved. I said, absolutely, grab a pack, let's go. And about 20 minutes, 30 minutes into the first evolution, I got training officers from this department who all I can see is this. And they're going, man, this is awesome. This is so cool. We've never done stuff like this. You know, We've never done searches ahead of the line while there's fire blowing down the hallway. So it can be done safely. And we do follow all the NFPA rules. Um, but we get people in situations that they're going to find themselves in, in in the real world, so that when it happens in the real world, they're not surprised.
0: This is this is a very interesting conversation for me because you know, reality is reality, man. Um, you know, I don't care what training we do; it's not going to prepare. It doesn't. It doesn't set you up for the actual real deal. Um, you know, I went through a lot of those training burns when I was younger, where we were burning tires and couches and whatever, and we got ourselves we're acquired, like,
1: structures. We're acquired structures,
0: or acquired, of course. Yeah, I mean, we in New Jersey it was very tough to ever burn an acquired structure. Not saying it didn't happen, but it, it was very few and far between. Um, but even in a brick and mortar on a on a training ground, you throw a couple tires and a couple couches in there, and fuel it with some pallets and hay, you get a hot burn. You get rollover and you get dark, dark smoke, and uh, and that will at least prepare you for similar conditions to uh, reality, if you will. But my thing is, is that how do you, how do we are are we? It's not. A, I don't even think it's the safety aspect. I mean, that's one thing, right? Nobody wants to have to go through the the monotony of you know paperwork and all the nonsense on the back end. If somebody twists a knee doing a jumping jack, it's three days of paperwork, right? But, and then especially if you're in a IDLH environment and somebody gets hurt, I'm sure it's even tenfold. I haven't had to do it. I don't want to ever do that. Right. But my point is this is like, is it so much that or is it just more complacency that it's like we're checking the boxes and we move on?
2: Oh, and, I can... okay.
0: and, if we're, and if that's the case, Rob, then the conversation really needs to come down to the training academy and the instructors and are those people there really at the at being a detriment to the new guys instead, because the new, the new guys don't know any better. And so are we being a detriment to the next generation are we not providing the realistic opportunities that we could because of complacency or laziness
2: I, I think after Lairdsville in New York State when they hung that chief on the NFPA standard and said yeah I remember an that industry standard and we're gonna we're, we're gonna like criminally charge you with the with the death of these guys I, I know for me I at least it's, to me in New York a, a huge training shifts. Uh, happen because people are like, whoa, if we if we screw this up, we can go to jail. And I don't want to go to jail because I'm not going to make it in prison. I get right. that. I get I, that. But, I'm, but I'm, I think that I think that was like the start of it. And then like like we always talk about um like the the safety nannies that are out there and like those who can't do teach or become safety officers or drive a safety culture that's almost to the point where it's um like it's a tolerant thing. So like I, I think it just gave gave them the the green light to be like, all right, let's make this route super safe and, and it's you know, the fire department's not a super safe thing.
0: You know what? Oh, it-
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. No, so, so, so you guys bring up good points, and, and you know, the, the things that happen, and I've read a lot of NIOSH reports where, you know, just stupid, stupid, stupid shit. I mean, burning a fire in a barrel on the first floor and sending people upstairs, you know, it just and then the fire got out and then trapped them upstairs and they burned up in a stairwell. Uh, you know, there's, there's tons of those, and, and those are horrible, but when you look at, and the, the type of stuff that we're talking about as far as fire for effect, You know, everybody loves talking about the lube thing. So let me touch on that real quick. So, you know, every time I go and I I go to other departments, I find their rescue dummy. And the first thing I look at is what do they have on it? Right? Um, And every single time, almost every single time, it never fails, uh, hardly ever, there's a, a webbing or a harness or big pull loops or something so that they can drag that mannequin around, right? So for any of the guys that are watching or any of the gals that are watching, I've never had a victim ever in my life who was wearing a full-blown hasty harness that had big pull loops that I was able to get out, right? And so knowing what I know from being a paramedic and having discussions about you know things that we've done in the past and experiences that we've had, I said, okay, so if we do find a victim and they're burned up, what happens to the skin when they get burnt?
0: That's coming off. I mean, it's it's slipping, sliding. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it and starts it's... sloughing off, right? Yeah. Right. So so I sat back and I thought to myself, okay, so how am I going to train people to realistically be able to drag a mannequin when the skin is sloughing off? So we tried like 15 different things. We tried like saran wrap so that when you pull on the on the rest, because we had to rescue Randy, the plastic one, um, but you know when you tried saran wrap and that would get hung up because of the friction and then what we landed on was, and, and Rob always jokes that it's Vaseline, but we actually don't use, we don't use Vaseline, we use KY. And what we do is we'll get KY gel and we squirt it on there and we, we move it around. It's water soluble. So if it gets on your gloves, you can take your gloves and run them underwater and it comes out, it's not a big deal. Um, stay away from the warming stuff because that just is weird. And nobody- We don't do to... the hot, cold stuff? Yeah, no, we don't do the hot, cold <laughs> stuff. But like, just literally like generic- Asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> Oh, we get this cool. I can't tell you how many questions we But But no, so what, what it ended up doing is that, that- off up a list here yeah yeah yeah. my phone's going to start blowing up here in a minute people are going to be like so but no so what we what we found out though is that it, it was pretty realistic to what guys had experienced in the past as far as victims that were burned that they couldn't get a good handle on so um one of the true testaments to that was that i talked to some guys down in oklahoma city and they had a victim who they were having a hard time getting out and they were they had the they had the victim up to the window and it took you know five six tries to get the victim up and out and so now Oklahoma City at their training division, they're, they're doing that. They're training with the, the loop. Yeah,
0: no, um, it's a good play. It's a good play. And that was part of your part of, um, what I enjoyed about the fire for effect, uh, class that you did was the fact that you had a, just little nuggets like that, that I've never really heard before being discussed. Um, and, and it really was opening on a, on a couple occasions, um, I I do want to just get back to this though, too. Uh, You know, we talked about you know complacency and laziness versus safety. Um, I, Rob, I just want to go back to this because to me, it's standing out in my mind that there's academies I go to that are kick-ass, and everybody says that's the best academy. You know, they burn hot. It's a good place. The instructors are on the on the ball. You know, and then there's other academies you go to where you know there's instructors that haven't been on the front line in 20 years right there's instructors that haven't stretched the line and they couldn't tell you how long and then they're checking the boxes as we go and our you know the biggest thing about national fire radio is really trying to pass on the lessons learned and and you know the the good stuff about the fire service and we have to talk about the bad to get to the good and i think there's a lot of times that if complacency and laziness is an excuse, and we, we lop that into another excuse other than facing the fact that, you know, maybe that academy could be better, they could burn hotter and push people harder, but they just don't have the people that wanna do it.
2: I mean, there's a lot of people who are out there in some of these departments that are like, oh, there are two things, I'm going to the academy and I'm not gonna be happy having to be out there because they are aggressive firefighters that wanna
0: be on the line. Yeah, but right. you know what? The aggressive, the aggressive guys that are hungry are going to be in there and teaching. They're, no, no, I know.
2: I, know. I roll the sleeves like, up. That you know, at first like, hey, we're sending you to the academy. Uh, they're, like, they're probably like, how many, how many jobs am I going to miss? But then there's the others who are going to be like, cool. This is.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a meal ticket, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I I don't know, but Dave, I mean, for you, I mean, you you have a training company. I mean, this is what you do. It has to be frustrating, right? I mean, I, I've seen you in action. I know what you and your and your guys can do um, and the type of classes that you host and the hands-on that you do. Um, I have to think that's a frustrating conversation for you to hear.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. And, and, you know, I talk pretty openly about this. Yeah. Um, I, I I currently teach, I haven't taught this semester, but I teach for a community college. Uh, and so we follow the book. I mean, we, we teach by the book and, and when I first started, I've been doing it for a couple of years and I pop in for classes when I can. Um, but when I first started, it was, if it's not in the book, you don't teach it. And we've slowly started morphing to, okay, they have to know what they need to know to be able to pass the state test, but they don't have to hold ankles. You can teach them how to do an oriented search, but they have to understand that when the state instructors come in or the state testers. They have to be in contact or, you know, whatnot. Sure. So we, we've gotten a little bit of leeway, but yeah, I mean, I've gone places uh, where stuff as simple as, and, and we were talking about this, about complacency, you know, how many firefighters have gone in and done a live fire evolution where the instructor freaks out because they put too much water on the fire? Right. they are not even allowed to put the fire out. Right. And so my thing is, let them put it out. Let them right. put it completely out. Let them overhaul it. Um, even to the point where we talk about this in the class too. If I can't get uh, an acquired structure, which is fine, they're hard to come by, um, we'll build. And, and we got a couple of guys and gals that work with us who are, are well, they're all amazing people. Um, but we got one guy who's, a, a, he builds houses, right? And so he'll go and he'll frame out a wall section and we'll position it or secure it somehow. Um, but we'll basically build a wall. And so even if it's not involved in what, what is going on, if they go in and they hit the fire and they put it out, we'll tell them, hey, you have to go over there and overhaul that wall. And we'll make them rip walls out. And it's just getting them in that frame of mind because how many times have you seen people, and I'm sure you guys have seen it too and everybody watching, um, how many times have you seen a firefighter that they go into the fire, they find it, and they start doing this shit? It's crazy. Because they've been told their entire lives, don't put the fire out.
0: One of my, one of my favorite conversations, Rob, help me with this. I don't know if it was you or somebody was talking about the cops that were shooting their guns and then picking up the bullet casings and i think that's rob do you remember that
2: i do but dave correct me on that because it's uh dave, that was I'm, the one that told
1: you guys yeah. the stories
0: oh you, it was yeah, you.
2: it was right okay as a firearms instructor i had heard the story incorrectly from another instructor and then dave kind of said dave why don't you hit
0: on it dave can yeah you tell us the, i love that story because it really puts it in perspective
1: yeah, so so this goes back to the bullshit in the fire service and how the bullshit in the fire service goes from generation to generation to generation. So, early on in my career, I heard a story about the weaver stance. And the weaver stance is where, you, you know, it's this straight out with the gun and you squat. It's the old, you know, like FBI, CIA, you know, law enforcement stance. And the story was that the, the weaver stance had been taught and that when they were teaching it across the nation, uh the fire the 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 students would fire their weapons and they were old revolvers when they were done they would stand they would turn they would empty the shell casings they would put their hand out and then the range master would walk by with a bucket and they would dump the shell casings into the bucket that was what was happening so there was an ambush that happened in california um and i I, i'm gonna butcher the name because i don't have it in front of me but i think the guy's last name was pence um, but there was a, a police officer, yeah, Pence, and uh, he was ambushed as part of a, a deal and him and a bunch of other police officers got killed. Well, a few weeks after that, the the police department put out a memo saying, we're going to stop training the way that we're trained. Well, everybody associated that with the reason why we're stopping training is because they must have been doing something to manipulate their weapon. And then they got ambushed and they got shot. Right, Had nothing to do with it. Right. And so if you actually go Google it, you know, GTS, Google it. And uh, what they found out is that there are no documented cases of that actually happening. But that's the story that we heard was that in the middle of these gun battles, all these police officers across the nation were getting shot because they were stopping in the middle of a gunfight to empty out the shell cases and looking for the bucket. We hear stuff like that in the fire service all the time. Well, don't do that, kid, because that five years ago, three guys in the Bronx died. Okay, who, I never heard about that. I, I don't know, some guys in the Bronx. And then you talk to guys on FDNY and they're like, nah, that never happened. We yeah. never heard of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good take. I mean, I'm glad, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that, that's uh, that's a real good take. And I know I've heard the conversation, uh, I've heard that story a couple of times in a couple of different ways, but uh, it's interesting. But it puts in a perspective, right? You take that conversation, you lump that in a conversation of, we don't allow our probies to put fires out and training fires. You bundle all that up. And what we're doing is we're failing. We're failing the guys coming out onto the line. And then if you put them in a shitbag house, if you put them in a department that doesn't have a training culture, or you put them in a company that's a lazy company,
1: what do you think is going to happen to that guy? Yeah, You're setting up for failure. And I'm going to name drop a couple people here. So, so you know, like uh, Cody Trestrail and, and Brothers in Battle and all of his cadre, right? Amazing people. Um, I know them in passing. I've met them at various conferences and stuff, but I don't know them super well. But, you know, Cody and his guys and gals are known for throwing babies out of windows, right? They've been doing it for a really long time. And everybody thought that they were crazy for throwing babies out of windows. And now all of a sudden we see these videos of helmet cams with babies getting thrown off of balconies and, and people are training for that, right? right. Um, same thing with with uh, a lot of the other training companies that are preaching, searching vacants. You know, it's not vacant until we've searched it. You know, there was that lady down in Florida and I, I want to say it was one of the Stone brothers. Uh, somebody was involved with it down there that's in the teaching world. Um, but they had a vacant building that had a, a homeless woman trapped in there and they sure. did a vent in her search and pulled her out. And she's alive. So a lot of times this complacency thing, if people listen to it and they buy into it, it'll just keep on going throughout generations. It's up to people like us. And I say us because the people that are watching this right now are probably the people that are like us. Um, But it's up to people like us to stop that from happening and and start doing things to make it not okay to not search that house, to make it not okay to not train to, to grab that baby when the mom throws it out the third story window. That's up to us.
0: I agree, I agree. And I think we need to work harder at it because now more than ever, I think the fire service needs that core group to stand up and say, it's okay to do this. It's okay to be in love with it. It's okay to wanna produce and protect and and do our job the way we're supposed to. Um, I don't think that conversation is happening enough and it's refreshing when I do hear it. I love it. So Dave, how did we get here, man? give like a little background, right? I mean, you know, we talked about, yeah, you've been doing this a while, firefighter, paramedic and so on, but like what drives you? I mean, you have, you have a passion. I saw it when you were with us in, uh, in South Carolina. Um, you spent, what was it? Three days with us, I think, you know, yeah. two nights, three yeah. days. Um, had some, I, don't,
1: I don't remember a lot of it. But.
0: Had some interesting, yeah. I mean, you know, we do our share of uh, sodas <laughs> while we're out, but, but, you know, it was, it was really a, an incredible time.
2: Yes, parents is a apparatus innovation, Dave Mellon. He, yeah, he did. yeah, that's true. And we got yeah. to put him on a tower ladder for the first time.
1: Yeah, so that was. Of- I got to ride the seat. I got to ride yeah. the seat.
0: That yeah. was great. Yeah. Uh, just remember who let you do all these things. All right. Yeah. I know. I know. I'll never but forget. No, I, listen. Where I'm going with this is very simply this, right? Like, how'd you get here? Why? Why? I mean, I watched your passion. I watched. You were you're very much like us. And I know how I am when I get to a firehouse, man. I'm like, you, can I look at your trucks? Can I do this? Can I do this? And I'm like a little kid off to the races. And I was watching you when you were spending your time with us and you're very much the same way. And I love that because I love surrounding myself with like-minded people. So, um, but how'd you get here? I mean, why, why do you have this passion? Why are you excitable? Why since 1998, when you when you got involved, mean i'm trying to do the math in my head real quick but what is that like uh, 22 years
1: 21 years yeah 20 almost 22 years
0: so you know 20 over 20 years and you're still excitable and you still want to bring something
1: why so i i think a lot of it let me back up so when i was four i told my parents that i was going to be a firefighter and my mom loves telling this story my dad passed away uh six seven years ago but They both loved telling this story. I came home one day from school and I told my mom, uh, "You know, hey, I want to be a firefighter." And and she said, "I came inside from playing whatever it was." I said, "I want to be a firefighter." And they said, "Oh, okay, cool. You know, next week he's going to want to be an astronaut. The week after that, he'll want to be the president." Right.
0: right.
1: And I never gave it up. I just never gave it up. And I'm the first generation firefighter in my family. There, I can't find I can't find anyone else in my family that was in the fire service. So. Um, I grew up loving it. I grew up being excited about it. Um, And for me personally, not only do I like the job and the things that go along with it, but I like the, the, I like learning things about everything. So like, for example uh, you know, if Elkar brass comes out with a new nozzle, I want it. Right. And I don't want it because it's cool. I want it because I want to know how it works. I want to tinker with it. I want to see what it does. Um, I've tore apart. I can't tell you how many nozzles I've tore apart just to tear them apart to see what what made them tick. Um, so I get excited about that kind of stuff. But I think the biggest driving force is the fact that I used to get so much shit for that. All through growing up, I mean that was I was the nerdy kid who just loved fire stuff, and not like not like arsonist. Like I'm going to go start fires and you know stuff like that. But I always wanted to know about the new materials that were coming out or the new equipment that was coming out or the new tactics that were coming down the pipe. Um, And so like when people talk about slicers and dicers, I can't tell you a lot of people that actually have taken the time to sit down and read the research and actually look through the actual data. But I do because I find that interesting and it's cool to me.
0: That's why why I have friends like you.
1: Yeah, yeah. and so it's, you
0: know. Explain it to us. Yeah. Right.
1: But, but here's you the cool draw me part a
0: picture, is, draw me a picture, Dave, draw me a picture.
1: Yeah. So my buddy, Ben, who was the other guy that helped me start Valor fire training in the beginning, uh, Ben Burbridge up in Omaha. Uh, he works for Bellevue fire and, uh, Ralston. And so it was, we always joke about this. He's like, dude, you're the guy that'll sit down and read a manual for like six hours. Yeah. And then you'll turn around and you'll just dumb it down to everybody else's level so that we all understand how to do it <laughs> without having to read the manual. If so I think that's my,
0: coffee, make listen, Dave, I'm, Dave, I'm not keeping you around for your good looks, pal. You that right <laughs>
1: but that's, but that's my shtick though, is that, you know, I, I mean, listen, everybody's got their thing, but I'm going to take a look objectively. You know, you guys have seen the equipment reviews and stuff like that. Of course. Um, I don't, I don't bullshit. I'm not going to have somebody send me something and say, Hey, here's, you know, 500 bucks, say something nice about our product. I'm going to put it out there because I want people to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's the way that it's always been. So even with fire tactics, uh, you know, somebody comes up and says, Hey, we should do this positive pressure attack. And I'm like, okay, why? And we go and we look at the empirical evidence and the research and the data. And then I said, wow, this is really stupid. We shouldn't do this. This is going to be bad. if, If you have the wrong conditions, you can really mess something up here. And I can see places where it works. But there's a lot of places where it doesn't work, but you had this bandwagon effect where everybody just started jumping onto it for a year or two. And then they had a couple of firefighters that got really hurt doing it.
0: My man, you just hit on something and I just wrote it down. You know, I I keep this journal and I just wrote it down. Fact versus belief. Yeah. Oh, and so often in not just the fire service, but in society. Now we talked about the, the police thing with the guns before, you know, like you hear something and it becomes, it becomes truth. And in fact, it's not. And, you know, in the fire service, we need more people to do the research. We need more Dave Mellons out there to educate guys like myself that, no, in fact, what you heard is not correct or it's not the complete story. And, you know, we talk about this a lot with um, the newer generation and digesting content. They, they're very visual and, and they're instant. And so they're gonna see something and they're gonna take that as Bible before they even test it for themselves. And I can't, I can't even, uh, you know, stress enough how important it is to take something and make it your own and own it. And, you know, you have to try through methodology to make sure that what you're, what you're saying and what you're spitting out. I mean, I've caught so many guys just talking and you look at them and go, you don't even believe the own shit you're, you're spilling. You've heard this from somewhere else and it, yeah. you're, just, you're just spilling it out. You're regurgitating it, but there's no, there's no validity to a lot of it, right? It's, it's factless, it's baseless.
1: Um, yeah. That's important, that's really important. Yeah. And, you know, instructors talk about pedigree. And and I'll say this, I, I heard from a, from a, I was at a training conference and, uh, you know, I had somebody who told a room full of people. You need to find out the pedigree of your instructors. And if you're in a class and you're listening to somebody who isn't a career firefighter who doesn't make, you know, X amount of calls a year, you know, working fires a year, you should get up and walk out of the class because you're learning from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. And I sat there for a second, I was like, okay. So there are people all around the country who run a ton of jobs, and then there's people around the country who run not a lot of jobs, right? So if I come out to Franklin Lakes and I come to your department, there's stuff that you're gonna be able to teach me. Of course. Right? And Rob, if I come down to to Fairview, you're gonna be able to teach me stuff. And so for me, you know, I, we're right up against the Metro. I have discussions with firefighters in much bigger departments that run a lot more calls and we'll sit there and debate and talk and compare notes and they'll learn from me and I'll learn from them. And it's this harmonious kind of thing. Um, so I think with the instructor part of it, um, I've, I've learned so much from people that run less calls than I do. And I think that that's one of the most important things is that, you know, we have these discussions about the newer firefighters that are just coming out of the academy. You know, you can't teach for five years or you can't teach for three years or you have to do all these steps before you can teach. What if you got somebody who's really knowledgeable in this one little area, but they've only been on the job for a month or they're on a smaller volunteer department, but they run a lot of grass fires and you're trying to learn how to do wildland stuff. You know, it's just, that's the, the one thing that still kills me about the fire service is that people still have that mentality.
2: There's a there's good, I mean, just, I know in New York state, there's a guy that works for state fire who has a master's in education and he does nothing with actual education. But the, if I took um, fire behavior and arson awareness, it's the same course I took in 1998 and it's the same 78 Dodge Duster that's driving away from the scene with the big 80s air and everything else and I just as, like, so even on a state level, sometimes there's people who are, you know, like that. Maybe the guy doesn't have all the time in the world, but he's got the background in making the product better. Why not tap into that? And it's, so you, you're going to learn something from everybody. But if there's, there's somebody who's passionate about it, give them the reins. Like, let, let's, or give them the keys to the car and let, let's see how they do. Oh, yeah. And don't get me
1: wrong. I mean, there's, there's the used car salesman you know there's the U- oh, you yeah, U- R- people. I've, I've been to a lot of classes where i'm sitting there and i'm listening to it and it's like dude that doesn't make any sense at all what but
0: but dave you? that's where i was going to go with this right it's like you know i like to think that the fire service is built by common sense a lot of what we do is common sense right like when you break down conversations about flow path and ventilation and pushing lines right it's just it's common sense right so I'd like to, I, and I know common sense is lacking more now than ever these days, but I still like to think that, you know, the majority of the guys that are in the firehouse are pretty well versed in common sense. And when you're sitting in a lecture or you're taking a training class, it's one thing to vet your instructors to understand that you should at least know who they are, right? Know where yeah. they come from, know what their disciplines are, right? If they're an urban fireman, a suburban fireman, what they bring to the table and does it match the class they're teaching. But then the other thing too, is to vet it, right? And say like, does this make sense? And if you're sitting there and you're like, just, just, just doesn't make sense. Or I don't, you know, I've, I've done this a couple of times and I, I don't know if it can be done that way. Like you have to digest it and use your own feel to understand if it works for you. It might work for them. It might not work for you. But the other thing too, is, is he full of shit or does he know what he's talking about? And listen, you could be a 20-year man in the busiest fire department in the world. Doesn't mean you can teach. That's yeah. fact, right? I cool. mean, it's just, it's it's fact.
2: And, and I look at that, like, when we went down to Burning in the Bayou, uh, we, we posted a video of Eric Hankins doing the engine company portion of the class of Boson Advancement. And I, I got him saying something at one point, and I was like, hey, this is a really strong point. Like, we, we put it out there. And probably, what, within 20 minutes, eric himself got on and said hey like uh that was not my material i was passing it along this is who it was this is, right. so like let's give the credit where the credit's due well, let's doing it right thing. right and but like like that's the other aspect of it like people like you said when we say that there's those used car salesmen like there's people who are out there who are trying to um it's like well, didn't we say the one time ever somebody was like oh, we. I, I feel like we've seen this from mike chempo before And the one out there, he's like, "Yeah, this is a great thing.
0: Yeah, punch
2: hole method. uh, I'm I'm a genius." Like,
0: but but it happens. It happens a lot, you know. Right. Um, Sure. Happens a lot. And like any industry, I don't care what industry you're in, you got good guys and you got bad guys. I mean, it's just there's guys that are in it for themselves. There's guys that are in it for the right reasons. I mean, it's just a fact of life. It's just the way things you know work out. Um, but Dave, where are you headed, man? What are we doing? Valor fire training? Where are we going? You got um, you guys. Locked up. You got a
1: lot happening. I mean, this over it has got to be tough. Yeah. So we we I had to cancel a couple classes. Uh, we were going to be up in Nebraska at uh, Osceola. They just built a brand new burn facility, uh, home built uh, that they did out of Connex boxes. Uh, really, really cool, cool concepts and cool, cool things. We were actually partnered with Bullard uh, right. to get the the thermal imagers that will do video, and uh, we were going to go up there and burn and uh, do, a, do a pump-up class. So we had to, we had to put that on hold. Uh, we were gonna be down in uh, Oklahoma, uh, down in Midwest City uh, for a couple of days doing some stuff down there. We had to put that on hold. So I, obviously FDIC, That's uh, we'll find out if that's gonna be later. But yeah, I mean, we were, we were, pr- we were pretty booked up. Um, yeah, and you know, a lot of people were understanding. I mean, a lot of people got it. We actually backed out. I shouldn't say back out, that sounds horrible. We postponed and contacted a lot of people uh, earlier than some and 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 we got some weird questions like, well, do you really think that's necessary? And um, I basically said the same thing that a lot of the other instructors were saying is that, you know, I would feel horrible if we brought in all these people from all these different agencies from an area and then they all went back out and got sick, you know, got everybody sick. So I think everybody's doing the right thing. Um, once this whole thing kind of opens up, we're going to jump right back on. Um, I've been working on doing some video content. Yeah, um, so
0: talk about that a little bit because you know, I mean, that's that's what we talk a lot about, and and I I try to um, I try to I don't know uh, pep talk. I try to I try to talk up the importance of branding and and self marketing because. You know this day and age man this this whole internet thing um does wonders for um the guys that it belongs to um meaning the guys that have something to bring to the table um not everybody does and you know there are a lot of months out there that take advantage of that and they they know how to navigate that social channel and so they can put out content that frankly could be detrimental right um but guys like yourself and your your training company and the guys that you surround yourself with it's a great opportunity for you to get out there and express um, your points of view and uh, and so on and educate um, the fire service. I think it's important.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that and and, and we talked about this, uh, Jeremy. You and I talked about this, and I think sure. Rob and I at some point did too. But you know, I always got really frustrated early on going to conferences where you know I'd want to go up and ask the instructors a question, and at the end it's like a, a rush mob to get up there. And uh, to you can't ever get the one-on-one time that you want. So one of the ideas that I kind of came up with was doing this uh, Q&A session with all these different instructors from around the country. And so uh, that's the one thing that I've been gearing up with. I talked to a lot of the instructors around that I know uh, and have gotten to be friends with. And so, you know, people are sending in questions, you know, something as simple as, you know, how do you feel about, and I think we talked about this the other night, you know, how do you feel about drafting water source versus tandem pumping? Right. And so, you know, my version may be different than your version. So, sure. uh, you know, like Justin Lawrence in from Oklahoma City, I had him do a thing on, uh, you know, keeping real is or keeping training relevant to the content of what you're teaching. Uh, and he did just a quick little five minute video. So that's the one thing that I'm really trying to reach out to. Uh, and I've gotten a lot of really good feedback and a lot of really good uh, collaboration from instructors across the country. They're like, absolutely. Because this is the the people's opportunity to get that one on one answer, but it helps everybody.
0: I love it. You're doing the equipment uh, reviews as well.
1: Yeah, it's good. Yeah, some of the, some of the. <laughs> so it's good, but uh, with all good things, um, like I said from the beginning, you know, I'm not taking a dime from anyone to do these They'll reviews there have been some companies who have flat out said, you know, like, we don't want you doing a review on our product because you're, you might say something bad. But, right. um, and I said, okay, well, you know, if you change your mind, let me know. But by and large, a majority of the companies that I've talked to, uh, were super cool with it. They were like, absolutely. Tell us what we tell us what you like, what you don't like.
0: Um, I love it, man,
1: because this
0: industry is so unique in the effect that, you know, we take, we take for granted, um, or we buy based upon storytelling? Popularity. Popularity? Yeah. Well, he's Scots. let's by Scots. Well, Rob, we don't need to name people. Jesus.
2: <laughs> well, I remember Dave was like, oh, a real air pack in MSA.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, right. listen, I mean, it's just, it's an interesting conversation, right? Um, you know, in this industry, I mean, we do a lot with fire apparatus. And so to watch people buy fire apparatus based upon you know, what they don't even know, you know, what, what they find to be, you know, true, which isn't or, you know, just because they like the look of it. Um, it's an interesting
1: conversation. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, and we we have this conversation, and I've been having this conversation for decades. You know, a salesperson comes in, and they tell you that their product's the best. And then the next salesperson comes in selling the same damn thing with a different name on it. And they tell you that theirs is the best thing. And how do you know what's right and what's wrong? And, and there's always going to be good and bad about every product. But what I found is that unless you really dig down into the nuts and bolts of it, um, you're not going to be able to find out until it's too late. And, and that's and what I love. That, yeah. You're, you're the guy. What, you, read,
0: you read the catalogs. You read right? the, uh, you, know, you read the fine print, you know? So who yeah. else is better than to do reviews on equipment that potentially could save my life? you know potentially could uh you know save my put my department in a good spot by giving them the, the ability to buy the right equipment based on the right review
2: Plus, not okay. in a training company to back that that review up with i mean to be able to say like hey let me see your thermometer i'm doing three classes next week i'd love to give it a go i mean that's kind of a there's a little bit of a difference in turning it on in your uh, in, in your living room and pointing at stuff versus going into a, a burn building and uh and not only uh, using it, but like capturing some of that fire for effect stuff, guys. Uh, you know, right. pulling that mannequin out in the uh, in the KY.
1: Well, and that's the thing is, that, you know, I'm never gonna do like a you know endorsement for KY. I think that would be a really jacked up commercial. But it.
0: <laughs> I I. But I, if I, they I, want
2: to, please contact David Mellon from Valor Fire Training.
0: Dave, I think I, I, I could be up for that. Dave, I think I could spin that for you. I think I can make it work. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: I really do. My, the way my brain works, I think we're we could work something out. I'd love sure, to see that.
1: Sure. Well, but like the, so I'll use this as an example because I've already talked to them and they're cool with me, you know, pimping out their stuff and talking about it. But like the the Vanguard MK1 heard tons of things about it. Good, bad, otherwise, you know, whatever. And so we we got a couple pairs and we tried them out um, and we found some things that we thought maybe could be improved on. And by the time I actually got to talk to the owner of the company, I said, you know, hey, we're going to do this review. Are you cool with it? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, here's some things that we thought of that we feel like could be a little bit better, and he kind of laughed and he goes, "We already have the prototype of that exact glove that you're talking about out in the field. We're testing it right now."
2: That's so,
1: good. so it was cool because they're actually listening to you know other firefighters, and so I was able to talk about that in the review. Um, but yeah, we're not yes. going to do we're not going to do reviews on stuff that we don't use, you know. And that's the thing is even if we even if I don't have it at my job, even if I don't have it at my <laughs> volunteer department, we're going to bring it into Valor Fire Training. We're going to use it in training. As realistically as we can for a couple months, and then Great. we'll tell you what we think about it. Good, good,
0: awesome. Well, that's fantastic, brother. I mean, this has been uh, this has been a good go. I mean, you know, we're friends outside of all this, so we we <laughs> yeah. chat and uh, and so on. So it's kind of funny because you know we were talking with Pete and Julie from Rush the Bus, which is one of our other platforms, and uh, which you know, I mean, you've spoken, yeah. and you've been a part of it, um, and so on. But they always interview the. The guest before the interview, so when the interview starts, it's always like they already like know the backstory, so they're not asking the questions because they already know. Um, and I feel that with you tonight. I feel like, man, I hope we hit on a lot of good things for you and Valor Fire Training and Dave Mellon and what you bring to the table because you offer a lot. And uh, I'm proud to call you a friend, um, but also I think you bring a lot of great stuff to the fire service. Um, being able to spend those couple of days with you in South Carolina really summed it up for me to to know what type of guy you are um and what you bring to the fire service and when i said it before about being excitable it's 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 fun to be around people that still get excited about the fire service and i think you very much do that and uh i thank you for tonight um taking some time out um you know you're roughing it i saw you saw those pale legs before so i know you got a pair of shorts on just hanging out your house yeah there they are oh yeah But I mean, you know, this time, you know, I I wish you, you know, much safety and love from from here. I know you're going in tomorrow working and, you know, and so on. And I just, you know, three weeks ago would have never been concerned about any, You know, concerned, but not, you know. And uh, and today it's a concern. Um, And so when I talk to guys and and friends like yourself, man, um, I wish you much health and safety. And uh, I thank you for tonight. Uh, We've been going for a while and uh i just want to say you're always welcome back and we're going to get you to do another on tap for us uh you know when we're allowed to do them again uh that's a whole other (laughs) conversation you know yeah but um you know but thank you and uh go ahead brother what are you gonna say no
1: no thank you no i mean you guys have been awesome you guys have always been uh great friends and and i think you know, there's a couple things that I wanted to say. So first off, I mean, everybody, and, and I mentioned this earlier, if people are tuning in now, I don't, Rob, how many viewers do we have? How many people are actually watching like five? Four. Four, Ten. okay. Got any questions? Anybody popping up any statements? But uh, I talked about it before, but I mean, as we move through, I mean, this is gonna be a pretty brutal next two weeks. And I was, I've been watching all the press conferences and like I've been keeping track on, on the data. Um, it's gonna get bad. <laughs> shit off, man. Yeah, and and you know I've gotten better about it. I, meds have been helping. I, meds have really been helping me watch those press conferences. But here's what I'm going to ask for anybody that's watching this: is just keep an eye on your friends, keep an eye on your coworkers. Um, if you see somebody kind of acting abnormal, uh, you know, reach out to them. And you know, that's my I got two concerns. One, this is going to be extremely mentally taxing on all of us in, in the emergency services realm, in addition to the hospitals and the law enforcement and all that. But um the other thing is that people are staying home and i know i've talked to a lot of firefighter friends around the country that they're running more fires they're getting more jobs we've had a lot of rescues that have been happening here lately because people are at home when they would normally be at work so um as much as it sucks right now because we can't train keep that in your in the front of your head that you know a lot of these places that we're going for fires they're going to be occupied Um, and we, and we need to do it, but, but, but but, I mean, you guys are in the thick of it, man. And I really hope, uh, you know, you guys are staying safe and healthy and all that good stuff too.
0: Appreciate that brother. I really do. Um, and you have an open invite anytime. Uh, we'd love to have you back on. And I'm sure we probably missed about, I don't know, about 12 hours of conversation we could have had tonight, but, um, you know, it's an interesting time. and, And as we go forward, um, you know, the, the podcast will last these, these last, and you know, five years from now, somebody goes back and listens to some of the older content. You know, this is, this is a conversation about the coronavirus, virus and, and it's an interesting time. And I, it sounds, you know, we have a lot of back and forth on it in the, in the first part of this podcast. And I didn't want to take away the time of learning about you and your story, but it's very much affecting everyone today. And so I just wanted to say that, um, you know, that, it's an interesting time and I'm I'm interested to see when we look back on this and you know, uh you and I and, and Rob, you know, crack a cold one a couple of years from now and talk about oh, you remember that first time? It's an interesting time in it just in society, in in the history of the world. Um and never before have we had to deal with something like this. So um everybody is making sacrifices and everybody is feeling the uh the effects of this. And so um I thank you for taking time out to sit with us tonight just to just to chat as friends. It's it's kind of reassuring and you know, sometimes it's it's needed just to catch up a little bit, especially during times like this. So I do appreciate it. Um, and obviously when we sign off, we're still gonna be chatting after this, but you know, it's just, it's good stuff, Dave. And I wish you nothing but, you know, the most success you could possibly have with everything that you're doing. Um, you're doing everything for the right reasons. And for that, I, I salute you, Brad. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for your friendship thanks for being a big supporter of national fire radio. Um, Absolutely, and man. thanks for,
2: thanks for coming on.
0: Good. Yeah. Rob, you still there? I am. I'm here. All right, good. Take us out of here, Rob. You got something you're going to wrap this show up. Yeah. Listen, everybody,
2: thanks for uh, tuning in tonight <laughs> live with Dave Mellon, Jeremy John and Robert Lee. And, uh, like I so said, everybody asked out there with this uh, COVID-19 stuff, uh, remember, stay safe. And Yeah. You know, it's like Dave said, it's stuff bothering you or something. Just remember, you're having a normal reaction to a very abnormal situation. So keep that in the back of your head, and uh, we're all here for everybody. So reach out. Thanks, good. guys. Have a good night.